who was not here last week? Last week, last week, Nalini covered like things like the purpose of tefillah, the idea that um, tefillah comes from hippalel, right, which means self-evaluation, self-reflection. It means um, literally self-judgment, but in a good way, right? When you dive and you get to you get to feel where I'm at with my own, like where am I? Do I care about this? Am I connected to this? Do I? Where am I at in my requests and my yearnings and my desires? Am I? Am I? It gets gives me clarity when I have to read from the prayer book where I'm at, right? Self-evaluation. So um, hit palel is very important. That's really, really the essence of tefillah is I get to self-evaluate where am I in my spiritual growth, right? It's nearly like a step outside of myself, like the Shabbat is. Shabbat's a step outside of your week. So, so too, when you pray, you get to, like, it's really hard, I don't know about you, but if you ever try to dub a mincha, which is an afternoon prayer, it's really hard. You're in the middle of your work and you're doing stuff and all of a sudden you have to stop, let everything go and just stand there and like connect again. So it like, it's like a reset every time, right? Don't get too bogged down. Don't get too attached. Don't get too involved in the world. Remember your source. Remember always. If you forgot about God for the last three hours, now's the time to rethink about it. It's a constant reflection, a constant reminder, a constant reconnection, right? The other word for uh, tefillah comes from the root patil, right? Patil tekelis, right? The, the, the blue string on sitsis is called patil tekelis. Patil means string, and tekelis is a type of special blue, right? Turquoise. So patil means strings. That means what a string, what a string do? It connects. To, it connects two things. That's the purpose of string, the function of string. So what does that mean? When I when I pray to from patil, it's my connection. That's my connection. That's my connection and my self evaluation. They're the two main main essences of tefillah. Okay. Um, are we recording again? Yes. yes. Okay. So that um, Nalini went over the historical context of the sutra that it was created out of the uh, great assembly of the last rabbis that were existing before the destruction of the second temple. Yeah, why? Because we were getting, uh, they were worried that we would get disconnected um, and that we would not remember with clarity what we're really meant to pray for. That we get so distracted that we get, oh, I just want to pray for our new Mercedes. Right? I just want to pray for my, I need an iPhone 7. Right? Rather than actually get clarity about what in the deepest heart of our hearts as Jews, what our priority should be. Does that make sense? Is everyone smoiling, boiling, boiling? It's so hot. Sorry, everybody. I am. I'm going to turn on the air. Sorry, guys. I'll leave the room. happens every time. Can you believe it's by putting on the air conditioner in the middle of winter? When it's like 30 degrees. I guess you can always open the window. Okay. So, um... So the idea is that um, the, the, the Great Assembly, what happened basically was that prophecy was taken out of the world, right? Prophecy was taken out of the world after the destruction of the first temple. We weren't living with it day to day, but there were a few prophets left in the Great Assembly, yeah, which was a great a kind of a committee of top rabbis, and they still had prophets left. And before the last bit of prophecy left the world, they decided to formalize prayer into a series and order, a siddur. Siddur comes from the root seder. Right, which we know from Pesach also means order. Order. order, right? A certain order, a certain formula that a Jew should go through the, in, in in himself or in herself that connects you in the right way and the prior like reflecting on my priorities. What should I feel in my heart even when I don't feel it? Right? Give me a review over and over again. What should I feel? What should I what should I be clear on? What should I try to reconnect with every single day? Or two three times a day? Yeah. So that's why they put together in a Kabbalistic formula, the Siddur. Essentially, the Siddur is a Kabbalistic formula that we don't understand, but it's actually a Kabbalistic formula. That if we align with it, it's much more powerful 
than if we just say our own little things like Hashem, please help me with my parking spot, right? That, that all counts, right? That's me, yeah. But like, yeah, that all counts and it does work. You see, you get the parking spot. Hashem's listening. He loves our little prayers. It's like a two-year-old going, "Mommy, can I help you?" Right? Right? He loves our little prayers. But like, there's no compar- in my head, and this is just my own my own sense of it. it it's, it's the difference between being in a rowboat, just going down with your little oar, versus stepping into a massive cruise ship, right? And when you're in a massive cruise ship, there's like there's all this structure around you. There's this whole thing, and you're just like you don't even realize that you're moving sometimes, right? But you're stepping into something much bigger than you. It's a Kabbalistic formula that's been created for thousands and thousands of years, and thousands of people have done it over and over again the same way. So there's like a spiritual groove that's created when you step into that formula. That's how I see it personally. That's not from any sources. That's just how I experience it, how I see it, how I understand it. And there is a difference. And once you start to practice it and flex the muscle of being sensitive to that holiness, so then you feel it more and more and more when you step into it. And I'll show you why, like, Shema feels different from Shema Esrei. All right, there's two different types of prayers in the Siddur. They feel different, and I'll show you why, because it's all set aligned in a Kabbalistic formula that is aligned completely with the architecture of the Beis Mikdash of the Temple. Yeah. So every single part in the Siddur, this is Rav Schwab, if you want to look it up, um, is aligned with every section within the Siddur, which we're going to look at now inside, is aligned with a different part of the Beis Mikdash. Like, where are the 15 brachas? I'll show you where they are in the Beis Mikdash. It's like literally walking up the stairs to the courtyard, right? And where is Shema? That's inside the actual sanctuary. And then Shema Esrei is actually inside the Holy of Holies, right? And so it goes up in increasing holiness, Kedusha. And if you're sensitive and you're aware and this is in your consciousness, then you actually can access those levels yourself, right? There's a whole... Uh, it's not just a nice, cute idea, like that you imagine. Like it's actually real- reality. Yeah. Okay. So what? Um, so just before we launch into that structure, which I really want to get through, I just want to give you today. Today, what we're doing is just an overview of the sitter, like an overview of the structure, and then like so you know, literally when you open up and there's a chakra service, you know what's what, you know what's flying, you just know what's you know. Then I can quickly tell you if you want to do anything, what the order is that you should try to do if you want to try to do anything. If you're not doing anything, you should come to me and talk to me about like what you should start taking on if you want to do something because I don't want you to overwhelm yourself and then freak out and say it's too hard and I can't do it and then you never come back and then well, it's really terrible. <laughs> right? Um, right? <laughs> That's what happens. Um, so um, so I, I sat with actually with Esther Wing last night because like, she made me soup, which is really cute. Oh, and uh, I said, I've got to teach the fuel tomorrow night. Any ideas of anything today? So she said, this is very interesting. I, I know this is backtracking a little. Are you cold? Yeah, but don't mind me. Serious? Yeah, don't worry. Now you're cold? Should I turn it? Do you want it? Can you do that? Can you do I think that'll make a difference. Okay. So she said the most important thing to remember, and I thought this was an interesting thing because I did not cover this the first week. We did discover, we did talk about Hashem not as the vending machine, that you don't just put your money in and go, cha-ching, 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 I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that, right? Remember we said that? Do you remember um, But she, she wrote a beautiful, she, she explained to me a different muscle. So she said, it's not this idea that God give give to me, and I I'll do things for you, God, and we'll make like bargains, right? It's not really about bargain bargains and deals. Yeah, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you, right? I'll be a good I'll be a good girl, and then you'll give me what I want, which is what people think, right? They really, Santa. huh? That's Santa. That's Santa. I love how you bring in the Christmas cheer, <laughs> right? That's Santa, yeah, right? Gonna be good. <laughs> okay. okay, so what? So, so she said, "What that doesn't that that just doesn't exist. Like that's just not even in reality." She said, "You're already," she did it this way, "You're already inside of God. This big circle say God, and this little circle is us, 
and God, you're inside of God. You can't, it's not about him doing things for you because that means you're separate, right? You're already inside of God and he's already given to you. You're already part of God. You can't be separate, right? So you're already absorbing. So, so then what's to feel up? Yeah, you're already part of him. So he talks about the idea that um, it's really about our goal I mean, the biggest temptation here with this model is to ingratiate ourselves to people, to people, to things. If I do this for you, then you'll give me a good job. If I do this for you, then, right? And we do that to people thinking they're really like God. We don't acknowledge that God's, God's really the provider. We think people are the provider, and so we don't have any awareness of our real creator, our real provider, our real source. Um, so this, this model is that I acknowledge that I am already being unconditionally given to, already. I'm already participating in God by my existence, without doing anything. It's unconditional. It's unconditional. I don't have to do anything to be worthy of love and being given to, right? This is such a hop. We don't feel this way most of the time. We don't. We feel like we really, God doesn't love me, and if I do all his mitzvahs, then maybe he'll love me, right? Which is really, if you want to get into psychological psychobabble, it's really that we're projecting some sort of authority figure that we've experienced in our life onto God, right? Ooh, that's deep and scary. Let's not go there, right? Yeah, that, that we really project onto God a sense of authority figure of whatever experience we had, whether it was a teacher, whether it was a relative, whether it was a parent, right? Or a critical parent. Yeah, we often will do that. We'll often project onto God what we think authority or, or authority means. Um, that I have to be something to be loved, but that's not the case. So I actually remember, it reminded me um, of this beautiful, beautiful martial, beautiful metaphor, which is a picture of the twins. Have you seen twins in the womb? And in the twins, it's the conversation going on between the twins in the mother's womb. And he says, hey, brother, to the brother, do you think there's a life after birth? And the other brother says, do you believe in mom? And he says, no, nah, I don't believe these things. I'm an atheist. I mean, have you ever seen mom? That's brilliant. Isn't that brilliant? Oh, my gosh, that's brilliant. Isn't that brilliant? That's us. That's really us. That's just me. I'll email you this. Have you ever, if you ever seen mom? Like, I don't believe. Meanwhile, through the umbilical cord, they're being fed and nurtured, and just because they're like lying there, they're being loved. Loved and nurtured and given to every second of the day. They don't have to do a thing. And then here they are having a philosophical argument. Do you believe in mom? I don't know about you. I've seen mom. Do you think there's life after birth? Right? That's us. That's us what we do all day. Seriously, what we do, right? So, this is what we're talking about. Yeah, this is what we're talking about. So, the, so the, the goal for us, the only real goal... So I was like to Esther last night, I was like, so what's the point of tequila? Right? So the only real goal is to not cut off the umbilical cord. We have an option. We have free will to whether we chop the umbilical cord. What does that mean? To not acknowledge our provider. To not acknowledge the source, where it's really coming from. And when you reconnect and you start to acknowledge the source, your life transforms. Your life transforms when you truly, you can't fake it. It's like you can't fake being pregnant. You can't fake bitachon. You can't fake trust. Right? You can't fake, you can't say, yeah, I trust. Brok Hashem. I call it Brok Hashem syndrome. You know those people? You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Where they're like, yeah, my house is on fire. Brok Hashem. <laughs> right? They're not really there. You see it, they feel something's fake. Yeah? They have this ideal of what they should be. They're not really there. They don't accept where they are. And it creates a tension. And they don't really accept where they are. And not, you can only really grow when you accept where you are. And then you can have an ideal and grow towards it. But they don't really accept it. They try and fake it, but that keeps them stuck. You've got to accept where you are. 
But at the same time, you have to start to really think deeply about, you know, what am I believing here? What am I believing? So I just want to share a little story that Lauren just shared with me that actually totally identifies this that she, ex she experienced this week. <coughs> Do you feel okay to share it? Yeah. Me? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, so I've been looking for a job and I've been interviewing at a ton of different companies. Um, and then last, last week I met with Jackie and Jenna two different times and we were talking about prayer and like I was just in my mind because we, this is like what the soul is about for the past three weeks. And I started praying a lot. Like last week I prayed way more than I ever had because like I normally don't pray often. Um, and then this week like everything fell into place. Like a lot of the places that I've interviewed for got back to me and it's it's just crazy because I, I really do think it's because I prayed a lot. Right, so she basically realized that she wasn't acknowledging her creator and her source and she started to acknowledge which is what you do through prayer. Prayer, the whole point of prayer is to say, I acknowledge I can't do it myself, I acknowledge I'm humble, I acknowledge I'm human, I need you, I'm dependent on you, you're my creator, you're my umbilical cord. Can Lauren share one more thing she said? She yes. Just what you're learning? Oh my gosh, that's so much good stuff you're saying. why the question like why um is why to say service of the heart is like prayer like Good. when i thought of that i'm like i would think service would be like i don't know like giving tadaka like mm -hmm. helping out a friend like that's what i thought when i think of service but lauren said most amazing thing ever wait yeah. so i just pause that and say a little caveat that the whole idea of prayer and inner inner work that you do is, is there's a phrase known as a voda shebelev a work of the heart or service of the heart that's what it's called, your avoda, your, your inner work, right? So we're saying that inner work sounds like inner service could be giving charity, giving... Why, why this? Yeah. Because when you're servicing other people, you're doing charity, you're servicing other people, and that's great, but when you're praying, you're acknowledging that God is... You're acknowledging God. So that's like why service is... Or prayer is service to God. Because being in direct service yeah. to God. She was saying, like, exactly. you could right. like, do community service all day, every day. Right. No concept of God. God right. No relationship with God. Right. Some of my most, my most giving friends are, right. like, they consider themselves to be, like, atheist or agnostic, whatever. They're like, no, I don't really do God, but, like, I do, like, I believe in, like, international service work, which is amazing. But, like, that's, it makes perfect sense why, like, service to God is prayer. And you could still cut off your umbilical cord. Right. And do tons of community right. service. Right? You hear? The difference is, it, it, I don't want to scare people because it's always better to do community service than not do community service, <laughs> right? Because, because community service is still a mitzvah because you're doing it between others, right? But there is an idea that if you don't connect that somehow to God, that it's inclusive of your service to God, that it's not counted as a mitzvah in the same way, right? Your intention does matter. So if you're doing it also because it's what God wants and you want to serve God through caring for his other children, then it's a higher level than if you just did community service without thinking that. Does that make sense? Much higher level, like no comparison. Even though all those other things are still good and meritorious and okay. Um, okay, let's get into the nuts and bolts of it because um, I want to give you an overview and it's really, really important. Um, right now, prayer replaces what was known as korbanos, which is the sacrifices in the temple. Yeah, when the temple was around, we were giving sacrifices. Got that answer? No. 
connected somehow to sacrifices. For sure. Um, so um, sacrifices were in the temples. Has anyone heard of sacrifices? Do, do you know what that means? Yes, sacrifices. We sacrifice animals. This is so not a PC conversation for this generation, right? But we sacrifice animals in the in the temple. Does anyone know what the purpose of that was? Service to God. How? Yes, everything was service to God in the temple. How? How was that function of sacrificing an animal a service to God? What did it do for us? How was that a service? Yes. Well, maybe because back in the olden days you ate what you would sacrifice, so you're maybe depriving yourself of the meal. There is a part of eating some of the sacrifices, but what, what's, well, there's, there's a function, there's a spiritual function, right, mentors after. You're, do, you're doing what God told you to do. So, like, you're, you're doing what God told you to do. So you're servicing it. That's true. That's the highest level. But why would God suggest to do that? It's kind of gory and graphic and kind of gross. Yeah. yeah oh, wait, wait. That's, it's an interesting question, right? Yeah. Korban comes from the root kiruv or karov, right? Which means to bring close. So korban, karov, it's the same root, which means to bring. So you're right. It does. It is in service to God. It is bringing you closer to God. The question is why and how, right? Okay, mentors. Oh wait, was one more? Was one more? Yeah, one more no, guess. No, 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 you go Mine's first. I guess, by the way. Okay. Um, <laughs> gets to guess first. Closer to God because we're realizing that like Hashem made animals and made us and like we're meant to like kill them so we can eat them and so that we can benefit through what Hashem gives us. Yeah. Yeah, but that's that's just like we have a nice Carlos and Gabby's meal tonight. We don't need to be in the temple sacrificing them. Like, that's true. Like, that's when we eat a meal and we enjoy animals to eat. That's what we're acknowledging. That's giving us fuel to serve God, and we realize God created it, and we thank, and we... But why in the temple, and what's the function of that? Yeah. Like, the animal somehow, like, took on your avera. Like, yes. And and then that got... It was, like, transferred, kind of. And yes. They, they brought it up to higher level. To yes. higher what? Higher level. Like, instead of yeah, sacrificing yourself, like, we don't sacrifice ourselves, so, like we're going to put our sins into this animal and then we're going to sacrifice this animal and it's as if our sins have been brought to Hashem and forgiven. Right. It's a process of atonement and forgiveness and appeasement that we Hashem allows us to offer an animal for our own sins as if we were that animal. Meaning what's happening to the animal in a way could be happening to us. Right? Um, So He lets us in a way transfer ourselves onto that animal. Um, yeah. Animal sacrifice, for how long in our history do we do that and why don't we do it anymore? We don't have temple. Who says I don't do it? Okay, no, so we, don't, we don't do it. Jenna? So all of those things that happened were specific to the temple. Yes. They weren't just doing it in the streets. It was right. like, no, it was, it was a whole right. service. It was a very careful and very, very, very holy thing. And, um, and they were domesticated animals because you had to give us something that you already owned. It couldn't just be you grab a wild animal and you offer it. It had to be domesticated. So there's three components to Corbanos. One was you had to give something that you already owned. So you're giving something of yourself, right? Then it was a substitution for, some, for part of you, right? That it was somehow representing something that you did. And the third was that it was bringing you closer to Hashem. So there was three aspects to every Corban. And... Um, and it, it reflects a part of you. There's some part of you that it reflects that you're offering up to Hashem. You're giving it to Hashem. Right. Can I ask a question about the temple? So if Hashem sees the value in us 
or he's like making us sacrifice animals or you know do all mm -hmm. why do he still want us to do it outside of a temple whether or not we had one and that might be like yes a but there's a level of there's a level of kedusha and holiness that it, that all of that involved in that process involved that we don't access anymore this generation because we dropped so far i mean prophecy also left after right. the first temple, there was already a drastic drop in prophecy from the first temple to the second temple that prophecy started to leave after the destruction of the first, first temple. It fully left after the second, second temple, but we stopped living with it in our midst after the first temple, meaning the first temple was on a much higher level spiritually than even the second temple. Mm -hmm. and, we're, and we're on a much lower level now than we were, obviously were in the second right. temple. So there's a certain level of holiness that we don't live with anymore. Yeah, even idolatry was taken out, our desire for idolatry, right? It's the three cardinal sins you're meant to die before doing. Do not murder. Okay, we get that. Do not commit idolatry. I don't really get that. And do not commit adultery. Well, it happens. We're already starting to, right? We're already starting to justify no problem, right? So, but idolatry, the desire was removed from the world because they knew we couldn't handle it. There used to be such a desire to serve idols that were not God, right? To, to really serve something other than God that that desire was taken out. So you see that we're on a level where we can't even imagine what that level of holiness was like. Mm -hmm. Are you saying yeah. kind of like, if we don't do that now, so like what do we do then? No, I'm just saying like, I, I, I guess I need to learn more about the temple. But it's yeah. more of like, you know, without the temple, like even if we still don't have the temple, like I know we're doing holy things in the temple, right. but wouldn't he still want us to do all those similar things because it was right. getting us closer to him? So, right. so that's kind of a, like the sadness and the loss of the temple is the fact that we can't access to the same extent right. mm -hmm. that set that level of holiness and connection that we could in the temple. And there are things that we do to like kind of mimic it and to still maintain connection. Got it. But like the, the, the sadness that we have over the fact that we don't have the temple is kind of because of that. And when do we have that sadness? So Tisha B'Av, when everyone's crying in the morning, right. they're mourning this exact loss that you're feeling now, right. of that disconnect. Why wouldn't we do that anymore? That's so sad. Right. I mean, I don't want to kill puppies or anything, but like, no. but yeah. <laughs> That's part of the crazy, right. but like, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ironically, even I want to say that there is even a, an argument that the, the animal soul on some level knows when it's being used for something meaningful as opposed to just killed meaninglessly. Mm -hmm. And I hate to say it, but I actually witnessed my brother's friend was studying to be a shochet. A shochet is learning how to kill according to halakha, um, and it's actually the kindest possible process you've ever seen, you've ever heard of. Which means they make sure that there's not a nick in the knife, even a tiny little nick. My uncle do that. Yeah. There's not. They do what? They're shochet. Really? Wow. That's awesome. There's not even a little nick in the knife, so that um, so the animal feels no pain at all. It's a sharp, sharp blade. If there's any nick in the knife, the animal's not kosher. Because they don't want the animals to feel fear and suffering if, when they're dying. So it's an instant death. And I didn't really believe it until I actually watched it. I watched it myself once. My brother's friend was trained to be a chauffeur. He was nearly qualified. And he had a small little animal farm in the top of their dorm in the old city, which of course only happens in Israel here. It would be illegal. Um, and, and, they, and they had a, they had like turkeys and chickens. And he was about to chef the chicken according to Allah with the blessing. It's beautiful. They saw a whole bracha before and everything. Before they do it, and he's going to give the, fa the, the chicken to the, a poor family who couldn't afford to eat. So everything was a mitzvah, right? We're eating chicken. What's the difference, right? So I, I was standing behind him. I had a camera, but I was hiding behind the camera because I was terrified. And I, with my own eyes, I saw this. That actually was a duck. It was bigger than a chicken. It was a duck. And I saw this duck lie down and put his neck out. There was no struggling. It wasn't doing anything. He said a bracha. As he said the bracha, there was no struggling with this duck. And he said the bracha, and then he like went, and the duck went from being alive to being like dead, 
and like it was just so it was kind of graceful i guess this is different to the manufactured whatever's going on with it. there's certain conditions that are not ideal where people do it but the actual it, the actual act itself was not gross weird scary it was weird yeah it was really weird i was really affected by it um, so kosher meat is also uh, uh, the blood is drained out of it because we're not meant to eat the blood why are we not meant to eat the blood because that's often the nephesh the lowest level of a soul goes into the blood so when an animal's scared that's where the fear goes into the blood and we don't want to ingest fear and other things from the lowest level of a, an animal so we don't we're not allowed to eat any blood in the meat which is really the major difference in a kosher meat to non-kosher meat is how it's killed and that there's no blood in it right not that the animal's kosher or even if the animal's kosher Okay, let me get through. Yeah, last question. My question around the carbonos. So, but not all carbonos are sin offerings, right? Like right, there's different types of corbanos. So, there's what peace, about those sin. offerings, like transferring something? From Another class. I'm not going to go there. Different, different. So, you're just talking about like sin offerings right now? Yeah, and sin offerings. That yeah, in that idea. Right. And it's actually in parallel to the tamid offerings also, which were lit all the time. Right. But yeah, essentially sin offerings that were, were the korban that we offered up for our sins. Got it. There was four types. There was peace. There was sin. There was Thanksgiving. Oh, <laughs> right, um, right. Which is this offering? Um, I actually have a I have a great link. I'll uh, maybe I'll post on the WhatsApp group after if you want to read a, a short page about it. It's really clear. It's really good. Um, okay. So once the second second temple was destroyed, there was a lot of. Uh, let me just read a couple of sources for you. Says in Tehillim 141, uh, let my prayer be set forth as incense before you, before Hashem, with the lifting of my hands as the evening of sacrifice. So prayer started to be substituted instead of korbanas. That the prayer was instead of a korban. Yeah? Um, just as a sacrifice unites the spiritual and material by making a low animal the object of serving God, when you when you when you offer an animal which is low and you do it in the service of God, it joins the material and spiritual together. So does my prayer unite the spiritual and material by making a request for my material needs that I have. Please Hashem give me a parking spot, right? To the service of God. That I'm acknowledging you're my umbilical cord, I'm not. Please help me get a parking spot. So it unites my physical with my, with my spiritual. So it's for this reason that when it's impossible to bring sacrifices, prayer can be offered in their stead, in their, in their place. As the prophet explained to Hosea, we will offer the words of our lips instead of calves, instead of little cows. Right? Sorry, baby cows. Sorry. Right. Okay. So thus formal, it says in Tehillim, so this is all in Tehillim. Thus formal prayers were ordained in place of the regular daily sacrifices performed in the temple, which themselves were accompanied by prayer and song as well when they happened. And moreover, the prayer of a sincere heart is better than any sacrifice. Yeah? As, as in Tehillim it says in Tehillim 69, I'll praise the name of God with a song. I'll exalt him in thanksgiving. At, and it shall please God more than the offering of an ox. So it compares our singing and praise through our, through our words even more pleasing sometimes than actually offering up an ox. Okay? Also it says in Hoshia 14.3, So we will render for bulls, i.e. sacrifices, the offering of our lips, i.e. prayer. Okay. You get it. Okay, so let's move on. I'm going to get this out. It's helpful if you have a pen to write on this. Um,
Is there another sitter? Yes. Okay. So let's look at this map. Someone you want to pen? We're just going to do an outline of the sitter. If you open your sitter, uh, there should be a sitter that you have accessible, available. If you open the sitter to, on page 13, page, sorry, page 19, sorry, page 19. You see the, the morning blessings? Page 19. You see the morning blessings? Where it says, Baruch Hatah Shem Elokeinu Melech Olam, Asher Nasan L'Sviv Dina L'Havin Ben Yom Ovein Lai. Yeah, you see the, Blessed are you God, the King of the Universe, who gave their heart understanding to distinguish between day and night. You see that one? Mm-hmm. So that, it's, so basically the whole of the Siddur is connected to the structure and the architecture of the base of Mikdash, right? The idea being that this prayer is instead of a sacrifice and it's meant to bring us closer to Hashem. So the whole idea of chakras in the morning, whatever you do in the morning, is that it's somehow a sanctification of my inner self, my inner world, that, I'm, that makes me worthy for the day, right? To, to, be, to be doing whatever I need to be doing for the day, but it helps me clarify to myself that I'm really here because my whole being is to be sanctified, made holy to serve God. So, um, and then we start a process by going closer and closer and closer into the most holy of holies to, to connect in. So the first 15 blessings are actually about our personal selves, if you notice them, right? The blessings are about, thank you for my clothes, thank you for my sight, thank you for not making me a slave, thank you for not making me non-Jew, thank you, yeah, right? They go through all the different things about myself. It's on a very personal, small level, yeah? This is after you wake up and say, it's after you get up and you wash your hands, it's after you say, bracha for the bathroom, right? And then after you get dressed, and then ideally, just before you start praying, you wash your hands again, right? Just to clean off whatever if you, if you have for the toilet and you whatever. Right? That's after all of that, you start to say the 15 blessings. The 15 blessings, Rav Schwab says, correspond to the 15 steps that go up into, into the, towards the court of Israel. It says that behind here, down the bottom, if you imagine a huge courtyard, this was the Ezra's Nashim. And the morning before dawn, people would gather here waiting for the day to actually start to go into pray. And then as, when it was signified that the day dawn had broken, they would start walking up the stairs towards the, towards the court of Israel here. That court of Israel um, is, uh, is, is a different... It's, again, every single step here shifts in Kedusha and holiness. It goes up in holiness. So our 15 blessings is as if we're going up the stairs towards, towards the Nicanor gates here, towards the Nicanor gates, right? So those 15 blessings are about that. And it's all about just like thanking God for everything I personally have. So if that was the time to be selfish, that's the time, right? I have this, I have that. I'm focused on myself and focused on what I have, right? But it's really very small. I'm thinking about me. As we go into the court of Israel, this is where the rest of the world was left behind. Again, not being so PC, but this is where only Jews were allowed in. Right? This is where only Jews were allowed in. Why? Because this is a specific avoda that Jews were meant to do every day that non-Jews don't have to do. They don't have to do it. They can still pray and have their own uh, own uh, connection. But in this particular way, Jews were not um, in to do the avoda. Again, that wasn't really a problem back then. It's only really a problem for us now to understand that the difference doesn't mean less than. Yeah, difference is not about better and worse. It's about just different uh, different paths and different functions in the world. Um, so we moved into the court of Israel, and. Uh, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm not going to go through every aspect of every part of the sitter because women typically don't dove in every part of the sitter. 
Yes, do you know this in the morning? You can, but you don't have to. So if you want to daven according to formalized prayer, there's certain things that women do. It's considered as if a woman's praying, as if, if they did the 15 brachas in the morning. Right? So especially when women have kids. When women have kids and they're very busy with children, the 15 blessings, most of them, that's all they do. If you don't have children and you're working up to it, then you have to work up in a certain order. We can discuss that order. It doesn't have to be in this order that I'm saying it. But given that you were doing everything that you wanted to be doing as a woman, I'm just going to skip to the parts that women typically do. Does that make sense? So that you... And then we can go back to say, well, what, what should I do if I do it first? And yeah, Some people jump straight to Shema. If they're doing something, one thing a day first, they'll just do Shema. Right? And they build up to them. They're doing the 15 blessings later. But the order is the 15 blessings first in that level of holiness as you go up. As you get into the, this is the priest's court. So in the Siddur, they, um, they talk about the Kohanim here. Um, and they talk about uh, uh, the Burkhasa Torah. There's blessings for the Torah that you're meant to say before you read any Torah. They say that here also, um, it, you know, straight after the 15 blessings. And um, if you're going to say, learn Torah in the morning early, then you should probably say that bracha earlier. But um, essentially, that's what that is. Okay. Going into now, there's, there's an altar here. This is the outer altar, the Mizbeach. This is where Korbanos is mentioned in the Siddur. Women don't generally say it. It's where the Parsha is mentioned in the Siddur. Women don't generally say it. In the, in the, in the, actual, uh, the actual temple, this is where the sacrifices took place on this outer altar. This is where actually the animals were burned on the outer altar. And, um, and essentially, uh, after that, we go up into towards the Ulam. The Ulam means hall. And as you see that there are 13 steps leading into the Ulam, in the Siddur there are 13 rules that we have to live by. Women don't say that either, but that parallels the 13 rules. You can say it if you feel moved to say it. You can look it up in the Siddur. But um, I, then we get into the next section. So the morning section is all about me, my needs. I'm thanking Hashem for my needs. And then we get into, after I thank Hashem for my, me, for my needs, I want to start turning myself towards Hashem, like thinking of Him rather than me. Yes? So that's where now we move up into this gate, this opening here, into the ulam, into the hall, which is what's leading into the sanctuary itself. And this opening is what's called the section Pesuke de Zimra. Pesuke de Zimra, if you fast forward, is page 59. 59, thank you. 59. So what is this? This is like a gateway. Pesuke de Zimra literally stands, translates as verses of praise. So these are all just verses of praise. If you look at them, there's many, many Tehillim here, Psalms, right? Many types of Psalms. And it's verses of praise, very nice praise, right? So the other deeper meaning of Pesuke de Zimra is pruning back of the vine. Yeah, which, what does that mean? So normally I'm distracted. What's for breakfast? I want to get out of here. What time am I going to work? What do I have on today? I'm kind of distracted. When I get into this mode where I'm actually going to go and increase and make myself an aliyah to holiness, I want to really start focusing on God, who God is, what He is, what, how great He is. So the way I do that is to get into a rhythm of starting to really praise Him and start to focus on the praises of God. And to do that, it's like I prune back the vine. What happens when you prune back a vine? It helps it grow much more strongly when I prune off the weeds and the distractions. That's essentially what Pesuka de Zimra is. And in the temple, it corresponds to literally ent entering the hall that's going into the most holy section of the temple, which is exactly what we're doing. It's a gateway that we're moving through. Right? Um, and, and now women, there's a fast track. I must admit I do this every day. I don't really have time to do much more. There's a fast track that you women do not have to say the whole Pesuka de Zimra. Why? Probably because we're more connected inside. That we're, we get it kind of quickly. We're internally, intuitively connected to that, that sensitivity. So they say the first one, right? Which is on page 58. Baruch Shemar. 
which is like the opening. That's literally the opening here of that first, first gate into the ulam. And you have to say one in the middle so that you kind of are, are counted that you did something. And the one they say in the middle is usually ashray, which is on page 66. Ashray is a powerful one that says, praiseworthy are those who dwell in your house. Right? May they always praise you. So you're in the middle of the ulam there. And then the one to exit the ulam to get into the next section is Yishtabach, the very last one. Yishtabach, which is on page 82. Hmm? What does Salah mean? Salah? Pause. Holy, it's like a holy pause. Salah. Salah means a, it's a pause, like a pregnant pause, like waiting. What context? Well, it's in it comes up a lot. It comes up a lot. Yeah. I once, I once heard it's it's typically from Psalms and from Tehillim, um, because in in the temple they used to, um, the Levine would play music, so a lot of it is kind of like like notes to like the musicians. So similarly, they sometimes start like um, you know a note to like the composer or to the to the, um, the what's it called conductor whatever. So like Sela is like a pause in the music literally. Right, so pause. Okay. Okay, so here you look at, you have Baruch Shemar when you're entering the Ulam, you have Ashray in the middle, and you have Ishtabath, page 82, is the last prayer of that section called Psuke de Zimra. Yeah, make sense? That's probably the least important thing that a woman should say or needs to say. Yeah, as, you, as if you're trying to... I'm so sorry, I should just explain something. Sorry. That's okay, do you want to ask, maybe other people will know. I was just trying to understand, as you move up through the temple, your prayers become more holy. Is that the idea? I wouldn't say your prayers become more holy. I would say that you are able to have a connection with God that is more holy, as because you're moving into a more of a deeper Kabbalistic formula. Okay. And, and, and as you get clearer in your own focus and get less distracted and start to shift your focus from just me to something lofty, you also elevate. So you actually feel the intensity of the connection more and you stop the distractions. Like that's why when they say, when I go to the Western Wall, don't I feel, how can God be there more than the rest of the world? Right? The answer is he's not. That your soul is so clear to you that you feel that connection so strongly there that it is whole, It is more holy because you have a stronger connection there. Why? Because there's less distractions. Your soul is like, boom, it's like turned on. Right? So, so too, in the, I feel the difference. I'm all distracted lying in bed thinking of whatever and once I step into actually a Shemana Esrei, oh, there's a different power there that I'm accessing because I'm in the Shemani Esra. It's a Kabbalistic formula. I've taken away my distractions. I'm sitting there focused. I'm focused on God, not on myself. I move myself into a higher, more expansive state, right, to be able to connect. Yeah. Awesome. The temple, so the temple was like the holiest thing if you would do things now because it's not here anymore. I don't really understand how something man-made could be that it, would, it wasn't. The only reason it was holy was because it was God said, this is where I can come down. If you build me in exactly these instructions with these measurements, it was from God that the instructions, we didn't create it. Then we built it. It's a good question. We built it exactly according to the measurements God gave us. And then when God says, when you do that, I can, I can come all the way down to you. It called the base of Mikdash a kiss of where heaven met earth. Right? So it was a kiss. It was like, where, what's a kiss? A kiss is where two places connect. So if you build this structure, it's like building lips that I can come all the way down and give you a kiss. And there were live miracles that went on 24-7 in the temple that did not happen in the rest of the city. Why? Because there was an ability to access a holiness there that couldn't happen according to God's measurements. This is the same type of holiness we access in mikvah, and the same type of holiness we access 
with sukkah. So when sukkah comes, I just want to sit in the sukkah because the shem's right there. Yeah, by the way, it's really cool when you tell kids this because they totally believe you and they get it. <laughs> like, only adults like can't handle the sukkah, right? You're in there with kids and I have kids come out to me and go, why are you in the sukkah all the time? I said, because God, Hashem's right here. They're like, really? I'm like, yeah, seriously. They're like, seriously. And they're like, whoa. They, they, don't, they don't have a problem, right? Sukkah, sukkah has certain spiritual dimensions. If we make spiritual dimensions, God says Hashem comes right down to dwell with us in our lowly, lowly level. A certain holiness that's able to, we're able to access. Daven in a sukkah. See what it feels like. Start, whenever you start davening, whatever you daven, daven the same thing as sukkah and see. See if you feel something. If you don't, you don't. Right? But it's a, it's a more of a sensitivity. Okay. How do you feel attuned to the prayers if you don't know what it means? And one, like, if you don't understand Hebrew, you can still read English. in English. But some of the translation in English is still, like, not English. It's very strange. You have to learn what the essence of each prayer is and then apply that to you. Yep. So I would recommend doing a chavrusa with a, one of these amazing mentors in the room who yep. want, who are happy to offer their chavrusa ship uh, to you. Um, but going through like the brachas of the Shemana Yesterday of like what is the essence of this blessing. Rav Dessler covers it beautifully. Rav Schwab covers it beautifully in English. Um, and you can go through and then discuss with the chavrusa. So what does that mean for us in our modern day? Yeah. So that you write, you should see my sitter, it's got my scroll all over it through seminary when I was learning about like what, how to connect with each bracha personally. Like one is all about the crops and everything. I'm like, what? And really it's Parnasa. Get me a job, right? Get, like there's different, the one's about your health. If you have any little thing wrong, you say that blessing with so much more connection. But one's about the peace of Israel, Shalom, the last one. When there was any war going on, it was like that was the focus of the peace of Israel, right? The harder ones to connect to a Mashiach and stuff, yeah. But when, when the Arabs are trying to kill us, there's one about our enemies. Boy, like, do I feel connected when I'm scared, right? But the, the, the Mashiach, then you have to learn what Mashiach is and what that means for us and what that means for the country, right? I mean, I guess Trump being elected shook that up a little bit. Like, we want Mashiach now, right? This is crazy what's happening. Um, okay. We go into the actual... Uh, Hechel, the sanctuary, right? Now we're, I'll finish Yishtabach, I'll finish Pizuka de Zimra. We go in here, and there you see an incense altar. We're not, we're, not, we're not actually stopping there yet. We're going straight past it. To the right is a table, Shulchan, and to the left is the menorah, the famous menorah. These two represent the blessings of the Shema, which is on page 85. The right, the right, uh, the right, the right table, the shulchan, represents the first bracha, which is about um, one second. Just to make sure that's correct. The two brachas of the Shema. The right, the white one is represented with the table, which is with the. If you look at the blessing of the Shema here on page eighty-five, it says that. Um, that the, the, the one who forms light and creates darkness is the bracha, right? Talking about the moon, talking about, uh, they call it yotzer or, right? One who creates light and creates darkness. That's referring to the material revelation of God, right? That he helps us with our physical needs and the light and the dark and the daytime. It's about material revelation. The second blessing of the Shema, there's only two, is the left, refers to the left, which is the menorah. And that's with an abundant love that God loves us, right? So that abundant love related to the menorah, which is spiritual light, is talking about our understanding of Torah. 
that when we understand Torah, it's, it's referring to a spiritual revelation of God through the Torah. And that when we join these two together, physical and spiritual, the shulchan being like a table, like a, like a physical table, and the shulchan representing like, okay, he creates the physical world, light and darkness and all the physical things. And when I join that with the idea that he loves us and how much he loves us, which is the second blessing of we say before Shema, and I connect that, and that's with the menorah, which is a spiritual light. So then I'm using my physicality and my spirituality towards Hashem. That's a complete unity in myself, and that's the essence of Shema. So then we go straight into the blessings of the Shema, into the Shema. And the whole idea of the Shema is about the fact of being unified, that there's a unity in the world. Shema Yisrael Hashem, the Hashem, Echad, everything is one, everything is connected. I accept upon myself that God is running the world and ruling the world, and I'm, I'm subject to that, so to speak, and I'm willing to be subject to that. And I want to serve my heart, my, my God, with all of my heart and my physical things. And if you look at the Shema prayer itself, which is, if you fast forward to, oh, so the second prayer with an abundant love starts on page 88, that second blessing before Shema. Ahava Rabba, right? With an abundant love, you've loved us, Hashem. Right? I believe, but by the way, I think we should read this all the time because I think people don't realize this at all. How much God loves us. It's a second, it's another class. Um... Yeah, so page 90 is Shema. Yeah, page 90. Shema is actually then going into the incense altar. By the way, I asked Esther Wing last night, why is the incense altar, which is Shema, in front of the two blessings that come before it? Yeah. Do you hear the question? Yeah. The Shulchan is on the right, the menorah is on the left, but it's after this incense altar, and the incense altar is what is representative of Shema. Yeah? So my question was, why are we hitting the incense altar first? We should be hitting the, sh- the table and the menorah first. Do you hear the question? So she said, something, she said something I didn't realize. She said that because you go straight to those and they're, they're the blessings. And before you say Shema, they used to run out and get some of the animal from the physical altar on the outside and then bring it back in to sprinkle it on the incense altar. They ran out, got from the outer altar and sprinkled it on the incense altar. Why? Because this is a representative of our physicality, of our body and of the animals and more physical. The incense altar, incense is a smoke. It's reflective of an shama. It's a spiritual, it's a soul. So I'm taking the physical animal and I reflect it with my soul back to the incense altar. I'm offering all of myself, physical and spiritual, to Hashem. And if you look at the first line after the Shema Yisrael line of, of Shema, page 92, it says, right? What does that mean? You shall love Hashem your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your resources, with all your physical resources. And when I do that as a unity, and that's why you can see you're trying to get to the place where that's where you're trying to serve God with all of you. Okay, beautiful. After that, we go after the Shema to Geula. There's a bracha, bracha that you're meant to say before the Shema Yisrael on page 96. The very, very bottom. You're not allowed to interrupt between this blessing and the Shema Yisrael if you notice it. So if you're not saying all the other blessings in between, you would start your Shemani Yisrael from here. It's Sur Yisrael, Rock of Israel. Right, come to the aid of Israel. Liberate as you pledged you would. Yeah, Judah and Israel, our Redeemer, God, Master of everything. And is His name, the Holy One of Israel. Blessed are you, God, who redeems Israel. So in that place, you're meant to focus on the fact that God can get me out of any single situation. God is a Redeemer. He can pluck me out. He can change things in a second. In a second, Trump can win. Even when it looks against them, right? It just, nothing is beyond God. He can redeem from anything. And when you think of that, you feel like there's an upliftedness. There's a hope. And it's with that feeling you're meant to step, take three steps back and three steps forward into Shemona Yisrael. You're meant to be connected to that feeling of Goel Yisrael, of being that there's a Gu'ula and that the Gu'ula is coming in the future as well. 
So you meant to, it's interesting, you meant to step into Shemona Yesterday with a hope. I remember Nalini last week talked a little bit about, she told me, the idea that even when you hope for something, that's the beginning of a prayer. The hope itself is the beginning of a prayer. So, okay, now we're in the Holy of Holies. We're just going to finish up with this. That the Holy of Holies is considered the most... Um, the most holy in the world. Um, and it is uh, considered like going into God's bedroom with Him. At a level of intimacy. Yeah, not in a gross way, in a weird way, but in a, an intimate way. Um, you know, you're going in and giving Him a big hug. It's like, it's one-on-one. There's no one else. You're one-on-one. It's just you and Hashem. And there's a closeness and an intimacy. And it says that when you step in, the more it says this, um, I heard this from our Kellerman, that when you, well, firstly, why we take three steps back. You see people take three steps back and three steps forward. So it's interesting. Esther was saying last night, you don't actually need to take three steps back, right? Three steps back, people just do to create some space to take the three steps forward, <laughs> which I never knew. But, um, but I also had another beautiful idea that you're taking three steps back to step away from your world, away from the day-to-day. So you separate yourself from the world and you take three steps forward to walk into like your Abba to give him a hug. Right, you're taking three steps forward. So really the three steps forward are the three steps forward into the Holy of Holies. That's what you're doing. You're taking literally imagining yourself stepping three steps forward into the most intimate, beautiful, loving, unconditionally accepting place that you could possibly imagine, right, with God, who's right there here listening to you. That's the most amazing thing people don't realize. They think God's up there, I have to do something. Right? There's a Kabbalistic formula around the Shmoni Esrei which is very, very powerful. There's all sorts of halachas around the Shemani Esrei so that it, it preserves the holiness that's created intrinsically in that prayer. Now, you don't have to do it, but if you don't do it, you don't feel it. All of the halacha is about sensitizing you to feel something. So I feel different when I walk into a Shemani Esrei. I can't, different to Shema. I just feel different. Why? I feel like, oh, like there's a, an opening in me that happens because I'm trying, I, I've set parameters around the Shemani Esrei that is a, a supportive of the Kabbalistic formula. <coughs> so it says that when you do that, three steps back, three steps forward, you get dressed. You're not meant to do it in your pajamas. You're not meant to do it in pants. You're meant to do it with your shoes on. How you would look when you go outside, essentially. You're meant to dress, dress for the Shemani Esrei as if you would as if you were going outside, right? Put, put a bra on, right? Put some shoes on. Like, however you would feel dignified to meet someone else, that's how you should at least be for God. Yes, slippers are okay. Yeah, but like, but you should at least do something dignified. And when you step towards Hashem, if you're doing it with a proper intent that you want to connect, it's Rabbi Kellerman mentioned the Gemara says this: the Shechina drops right down in front of you. The Shechina literally drops right down in front of you in Shmoni Esrei because you've stepped into the Holy of Holies. It's not just like a cute little idea. And and Hashem is listening right here, like right here. He wants to hear every word you're saying. If you use your dimyon, your imagination to conjure that up without giving Hashem a physical form, because you're not allowed to imagine God in a physical form because He doesn't have a physical form, but you imagine this loving presence, this loving being is there listening to you. The, the connection is, is visceral. Your body responds to it. Your soul, remember, your soul knows, right? Um, and all of these rules and halakhas creates the space for that. It protects the space for that. Yeah? So um, you definitely should say it in English. If you don't know, Rabbi Marcus has a really good formula of like going through the whole of the Shemani Esrei and saying just the last line of each blessing in Hebrew, which is the Baruch Atah Hashem. That's one line in Hebrew, but saying the rest of it in English. The Shemani Esrei. In the Shemani Esrei. Or he says, say one line in Hebrew, the rest of the whole thing in English. And then saying the first, the next month, say the first two lines in Hebrew and the rest of the whole thing, right? Mm -hmm. Um, But again, 
women generally do a Shema, a Shemani Esrei, as I said before, the, the, the 15 brachas in the morning, the first blessing of Pesukah de Zimra, one in the middle Ashrei, one at the end, Yishtabach, if they want to do that, if they don't, they skip it, and they do Shema, Shemani Esrei. That's what they do, essentially. Um, next week, Nalini's going to go into more in-depth the Shemani Esrei. We're going to try, I don't know if we're going to get through every bracha, but we'll try and give more of a direct, personal uh, relationship to each bracha in the Shemani Esrei. And if this has overwhelmed you, don't be overwhelmed. You come speak to me if you want to know, like, okay, I want to start something. Or maybe you don't. Maybe where you're up to is just speaking in your own words to God. And you do. It's more important that you develop your own personal connection than it is just doing all the formulas. Because the, all the formulas, this is all equipment. You're learning equipment. The equipment is to advance your connection with Hashem. So you've got to start first with the connection, right? So if the connection's not there yet, you're still not sure. Maybe I believe in Him, maybe I don't. Maybe I'll talk to Him, maybe I won't. So start with that. Start with talking to him. Start with your own wherever you're at. If you're already talking to him regularly in your own words and you want to try something to take it to the next level, so then that's the time to start some sort of formal prayer. People start with Modayani. They put it on a post-it by their bed because they'll forget otherwise. That's what I did. I have a reminder on my phone. Reminder on your phone. Modayani. Beautiful. This right? is the first thing I look at when I wake up. Beautiful. So I'm like, oh, right. I'm to do it. Right. Any questions, comments, protests? Yeah. And you mentioned Rakhalman before, I was thinking you were going to say this. And he says the idea of like, um, when you come into Shimon Astra, there's this idea to whisper it, and then it's, that it should be at the level of like speaking that yeah. you can hear it, but there's an idea to whisper, and that um, he once asked one of his rabbis, like, why is it that, like, we, whisper, yeah. that we whisper, and like, what is that about? And Rabbi said to him, like, okay, one time, you know, go out to dinner with your wife, and take her somewhere nice, take her somewhere with like candles on the table. And just the two of you, you know, at the time there like weren't really any like devices, but like imagine no devices, right? And like sits no, at the he table. He's at Nona Vagos around. Oh, he's at there. Yeah, yeah. That's good. And then he like, you know, none of your students can interrupt whatever sits down at the table and just whisper. You have to like hear him say it. I I'm have to say it as well. Yeah. So you could look it up. I can maybe set a WhatsApp of this particular clip of him saying this, but like, and then just whisper to the per- to to your wife and the the intimacy that it creates and that relationship of just whispering to the other person mm-hmm. um, and then being closer to hear you and so that there's this idea that when, mm-hmm. when you're talking to God in prayer that you're whispering because he's really really right there like Jackie was saying right. really right there to listen to you and that that is the first step in creating that intimate and close mm-hmm. connection Beautiful. yeah he said that many times and he used to teach that everywhere and uh, I was I'll just finish on this story that once I was on a date and uh, I was in the back of a car a cab with a guy going out somewhere and I just met him first time and, uh, and he starts whispering. I'm like, what? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I, like, yeah I, lo- I really like to do that. I'm like, what? I'm like, he's got a problem. <laughs> and I'm like, he goes, yeah, like, it's, really, it's really great. I'm like, this guy's weird. And I said, I'm just looking at him like confused. And he goes, oh, you want to know why I'm whispering? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I just met you. This is really creepy. And he goes, this is the way I create intimacy. And I went, I'm going to kill Rabbi Kellum. I knew exactly where he got it from. And I went out to Rabbi Kellum the next week and said, Can you please tell the guys they shouldn't try this on date first dates? He was rolling with laughter. And I, I was like, it was wrong. This is exactly where this guy got this from. So, in context, to a share that's beautiful on dates, do not I absolutely did not, but he's happily married to a friend of mine, so she never knew about it. But anyway, I'm glad they have a good intimacy. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you, Jennifer. She fell for his intimacy.
You can take these if you want. Yes. It's so cool. It's on. It's online. If you if you want to do it, I'll find it. You can take it. Oh, so you can take it.